uh, tonight and to close out this week. Tickled about that. And it's a joy to have all of you young people here. Welcome to this service. And while this message tonight, I think, would suit everyone here, yet it is focused a bit more to the young people. Because you're in the stage of life when you're, you are growing, you're maturing, you're developing friendships, you're developing habits in life, and those things, they shape you. They shape you. And so it is a very important part of life that should be, should be looked at seriously and should be lived with care. And so I have a young people tonight I love the young people, and, and I, through the, through the power of God, want to just share some things with you uh, that are on my heart as we think about Christian character for the evening is developing strong Christian character. Some time ago, I was driving through our little town of South Boston, and I saw something that made me think, that would be the perfect motto for our conference. So I was driving up to a traffic light, and the vehicle directly in front of me was a big trailer truck, and splashed across the back of that trailer were the words, Southeastern, quality without question. And I said, there it is. That's what we need. Uh, that's who we should be, Right? You know, I don't know much about the Southeastern Trucking Company. I see their trucks around occasionally. But that trucking company is making it clear that you can count on us. We're trustworthy. We're dependable. There's no reason to doubt, to doubt our performance. They're making a statement about integrity, about character. The only problem is they're making a statement about themselves. And I would venture to say the best way to test the accuracy of that slogan is to talk to their customers, to ask their customers, what do you think about Southeastern? What kind of people are at Southeastern? What's the customer service like at Southeastern? I guess you realize, young people, that you represent our conference. You represent our When you go to that volleyball tournament, you're representing Southeastern Conference. When you go into town, you're representing Southeastern Conference. When you go, I'll let you fill in the blank. You are rep representing our conference. Those who see you, those who associate with you, then they draw some conclusions. They make some assumptions about Southeastern Conference. I just want to kindly challenge you with that. Now, in Philippians 2, verse 15, we are called to be blameless and harmless, the sons of God without rebuke in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation, among whom ye shine as lights in the world. And then in Ephesians chapter 5, the Apostle Paul writes that Jesus is soon returning for a glorious church, a church not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but a church that is holy and without blemish. And, and I think each one of us would say, amen, sign me up. I, I want to be a part of a church like that. That's the kind of church that I want to associate with. But don't forget, young people, that the church is made up of individuals, don't forget that the, the bank congregation, don't forget that the Southeastern Conference is made up of people like you and you and you and you and, and me. The church is made up of individuals. And so if the church is going to be holy and without blemish, that means that each one of us personally must have a passion to protect and preserve the purity of the church. The responsibility is mine the responsibility is yours. And so if the church is going to be blameless without rebuke, if it's going to be quality without question, then each one of you personally must be serious about developing strong Christian character. You see, the church will be no different than the people that are in it. 
The church will never be more spiritual than its people. And so what kind of a church do you want to be a part of tonight? Uh, do you want to be a part of a church that is holy? Part of a church that is on fire for the Lord? Part of a church that is evangelistic? Part of a church that is honest? Holy? You, you name it. Then be that kind of a person. Be that kind of a person. You are the church. Now, as we think about character, ponder several quotes here that sort of help define what character is. I quote, Your ideal is what you wish you were. Your reputation is what people say you are. Your character is what you are. D.L. Moody put it this way, Character is what you are in the dark. Someone else has said, True character is what we are when nobody's looking in the secret chambers of the heart. Character is revealed in many different ways. When the shades are pulled, the lights are off, and you are alone with your electronic device, character is revealed. When your buddy messaged you and says, how about coming over to watch the Super Bowl? Or maybe one of the March Madness games. Character is revealed. Or maybe when you're having that picnic with your friends down by the river, and one of them pulls out some of the new hard Mountain Dew. Y'all tried this yet? Character is revealed. Strong Christian care is the expression of a life that is lived purposefully and intentionally for God. I say, show me a man or a woman who has strong Christian character, and I will show you an individual that is active and diligent in their spiritual life. Now, turn to 2 Peter chapter 1, and this is somewhat of a springboard as we move into the message. 2 Peter chapter 1 and let's note verses 5 through 8. Verse 5. And beside this, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue, and to virtue knowledge, and to knowledge temperance, for that has to do with self-control, and to temperance patience, and to patience godliness, and to goodness, brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness, charity. For if these things be in you and abound, they make you that ye shall neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Okay, now in the verses leading up to this, the Apostle Peter is writing that we have obtained a, a precious faith. He goes on to say that God's divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness. God has called us to glory and virtue. We have been given exceeding great and precious promises. We are now partakers of the divine nature. You understand that? <laughs> that as a believer, you are a partaker of God's divine nature. Okay, is there anything left? Does that not cover it? What more could you do? What more is there to do? And in fact, many of our Protestant friends would stop right there. It's been done. There's nothing I have to do. I've believed, and now I can live my life. But what did Jesus mean when he said, Let your light so shine before men? that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. What did he mean by that? Well, maybe he was talking about, about you know, we, how, how we look. People identify us by how we look. He didn't say, <laughs> no, he didn't say, let your lights so shine before men that they may see your good looks. <laughs> no, he said your good works. In other words, that people can see the outworking of the relationship that is within. 
Your works is what flows out of your relationship. I mean, anyone can look right. You see, the Apostle Peter doesn't just end by saying, you have received a faith, see you later, you're good to go. No. But he says, in a sense, with all diligence, you need to now concentrate on forming godly habits. You need to add to your faith all of these things. We are to add to our life all that character means. You see, no one is born with character. Nor are we born with habits, but character must be developed, and godly habits must be formed based on that new life that Christ has placed within us. That is the foundation. And so with this in mind this evening, I would like for us to note six directives that I believe are key to developing strong Christian character. And the first is, Follow the example of Jesus. Follow the example of Jesus. It goes without saying that strong Christian character will not happen outside of a vibrant personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And I mean, I know that sounds like a no-brainer, but you would be amazed at how many people seem to miss that one. Turn to Matthew chapter 7. See what Jesus has to say about this. In Matthew chapter 7. Here Jesus is speaking about those who make a profession but lack a possession. You know what I'm saying? They, they make a profession but they lack a possession. In other words, it's a religion. They're busy doing but it's at the expense of relationship. It's at the expense of being, of who they are in Jesus Christ. And so here at verse 21, we read, Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name, and in thy cast out devils, and in thy name done many wonderful works? And notice how they refer to what they've done in life. They refer to these things as many wonderful works. Verse 23, and then will I profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. Notice what Jesus calls their many wonderful works. He calls it iniquity. Jesus says, I never knew you, or I never had a relationship with you. We never had an intimate relationship. There was never an authentic experience there. And we have a, pe- a picture of a people whose supposed relationship with God is largely made up of doing good things in his name. And we hear that sobering response of Jesus. Can you imagine that response? That response that spells eternal doom. I never knew you. Someone has put it this way that The true expression of Christian character is not in good doing, but in God-likeness. And so the foundation of strong Christian character is a daily, vibrant relationship with Jesus Christ. And then flowing out of that will be a focus to be like Jesus. A sincere desire to follow Him in all areas of life. 1 John 2, 6, He that saith he abideth in him ought himself also so to walk, even as he walked. Well, how did Jesus walk? That's the question. How did Jesus walk? Well, his goal was to please the Father. That's what drove him. That's what consumed him. What makes you tick? 
He was life-giving physically, mentally, emotionally, spiritually. He was life-giving. He was mission-minded. His focus was on others. He was compassionate. He was patient. He was non-resistant. And that means more than the fact that he didn't go to war. But he lived a life of non-resistant. He reviled not. When things were hurled at him, he didn't throw them back. His words were kind and powerful and well-chosen. He was a man of prayer. And we could go on and on. We are to walk as Jesus walked. And I truly believe that a key to developing strong Christian character is to get our focus off of ourselves, off of our personal holiness, and really on to growing in Christ-likeness, to follow in his steps, to walk as he walked. Follow the example of Jesus. Secondly, we must be faithful in the small things. We're thinking about keys to developing strong Christian character. I say we must be faithful in the small things. Let me suggest this evening that strong Christian character is developed and revealed most often the common everyday things of life. I ask you, what is your attitude toward those ordinary mundane, menial parts of life. Those activities, those assignments, what is your attitude towards those things? Now, menial is a word that we don't use a lot, at least in our everyday language, but it is a word that describes boring or unpleasant work. Work that doesn't require any special skill. Work that anyone can do. Work that doesn't pay well. Work that you would just be tickled to get out of. You know, work like washing the dishes, taking out the trash, cleaning the chicken house, unclogging the toilet, changing that dirty diaper. You could go on and on. Jobs like that, like, would someone please do that? But you know, those menial jobs have a way of, of picking us apart. Those menial jobs have a way of exposing us. They really tell on us. They show who we really are on the inside. It really is a window into our heart. Oswald Chambers wrote this. The true test of a person's spiritual life and character is not what he does in the extraordinary moments of life, but what he does during, during the ordinary times when there is nothing tremendous or exciting happening. A person's worth is revealed in his attitude toward the ordinary things of life when he is not under the spotlight. That's when it really shows up. You know, perhaps our willingness to be continually available for the most menial kinds of work is the clearest evidence, or one of the clearest evidences, that the Spirit of God is alive and well within us. Do you believe that? Probably is. Another quote here about character. Character is distilled out of our daily confrontation with temptation out of our regular response to the call of duty. It is formed as we learn to cherish principles and to submit to self-discipline. Character is the sum total of all the little decisions, the small deeds, the daily reactions to the choices that confront us. All of those things help to determine character in our lives. Now, Jesus said... In Luke 16, verse 10, He that is faithful in that which is least is faithful also in much. And he that is unjust in the least is unjust also in much. And so once again, a person's worth, a person's character is revealed by how they handle the finer details of life. And so I ask you, do you have a desire to do great things for God? 
Do you desire to be useful to him? And I trust that you do. I trust that you would say, yes, that is my heart's desire. Count me in on that. Then I simply say, learn to do the small things with zeal. Learn to do the small things with cheerfulness. You know, for example, don't expect to do great things for God if you're not being faithful in the small things. Don't expect to be a great soul winner in Guatemala or D.C. or Philly or somewhere if you're not investing in your neighbor's lives, if you're not investing in your friends and your youth group. Don't think it's just going to somehow happen in those bigger, exciting moments. Young people, don't expect to have a wonderful, rich, trust-filled marriage when you are not cultivating a passion for purity today. You're simply kidding yourself. It's not just going to happen. But the way we live our life today is a training ground. It's proving. It's showing. Being faithful in the small things, I say it's a key to developing strong Christian character. Thirdly, then, cultivate a proper perspective of trials. Cultivate a proper perspective of trials. And I want you to think of someone in your life that you look up to as a godly hero. So when I think of that, I think of my... Grandma Good, Beulah Good, what a lady. Kind of a short, stocky lady. I mean, it's not that she was that gorgeous, but she was just beautiful. I mean, the light of Jesus Christ just flowed from that dear woman. She was such an example of of thankfulness. In fact, if I had to choose one word to describe Grandma Good, I would choose thankful. She was just thankful. Now, does that mean that Grandma had a stroll through the park, as it were, in life? Does that mean everything was a bed of roses for her? Absolutely not. Quite the contrary, actually. And we could tell many stories. Grandma had a difficult life, and and yet she didn't allow those difficult experiences in her life to, to shape her into a bitter woman. In fact, she allowed those bitter things to actually make her better. And Grandma was such an example. So, you know, so as, as you think about that godly person in your life, as you think about that spiritual hero, chances are that that person has a good idea of what pain and suffering is all about. Chances are that person has, has faced some significant losses in their life. And if I would ask for a raise of hands of, how many of you enjoy trials? How many of you enjoy suffering and pain? I'm sure every hand would go up, right? No, just kidding. There would be a very poor response. In fact, none of us enjoy that. We try to distance ourselves from from pain and suffering. Reminds me of a message that I saw splashed across the front of a T-shirt some time ago there at the bake shop. I kind of enjoy seeing all the interesting messages that are on T-shirts these days, and since I'm in, in the uh, business world where a lot of people are coming to our store on a regular basis, I'm seeing a lot of people making a lot of interactions there. Uh, I see a lot of this. But one day, this lady strolled in, and the front of her shirt said, I hate hurting. And I looked at that, and my first response was, wah, wah. Like, what is wrong with you? And then about as fast as I thought that, the Lord convicted me. And I said, you know what, Josh? You hate hurting just as bad as she does. You're just too Mennonite to wear the T-shirt, that's all. But I mean, you don't like hurting either. You flee from hurting. And you know, our, our world today has an irritating amount of pain-free Things on our equipment, you know, you, you, you farmers know those things probably better than us, but in the bakery business, we have a lot of that too, you know, you can't, you know, make sure you don't get your 
hand chopped off in the meat slicer and, you know, someone caught in the, in the dough mixer and all of these things. And so they put all of these, all of these gadgets on our equipment so that someone doesn't experience pain. And yet, dear people, if we're really honest, we all know down in the depths of our heart that it's in those valleys of life that we grow the most. We know that when life seems heavier than we can bear, that we feel the presence of Jesus in a way that maybe we didn't feel it before. We know that it's in those valleys of life when that we often see the mighty working of God that we just didn't notice when life was all fun and games, you know? There's something about that. Now, let's just notice the testimony of a few from the Bible who went through the fire, as it were, and let's see what they had to say about trials. Well, Joseph. We know the story of Joseph. Joseph said, "Ye meant it for evil, speaking to his brothers. Ye meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. And we could say, well, yeah, I mean, that was after the story was pretty much over. That's when things were better again. Listen, that was his attitude throughout the story. That was the attitude that he had. He was resigned to the will of God throughout that extremely difficult situation. We can't even imagine, many of us. What did Job say? But he knoweth the way I take. When he hath tried me, I shall come forth as gold. Wow. David said in Psalm 119, before I was afflicted, notice, before I was afflicted, I went astray, but now I have kept thy word. It is good for me that I have been afflicted, that I might learn thy statutes. You see what he's saying there? He's saying, Lord, you have brought me back to your word. You have brought me back to a relationship with you, a deeper relationship with you through my afflictions. You have used that as a means of bringing me back. Peter said, the trial of your faith being much more precious than of gold that perishes. James wrote, my brethren, count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations, knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience. The testimony of some men who went through the fire, as it were. Now, I want us to note the perspective of another, another one, and that is a lady, and not in the Bible, but Fanny Crosby. We sing many of her songs today. And many of you would know the story, at least the basic story of Fanny Crosby, how that as a baby, she became blind due to doctor malpractice. Now, can you imagine being the parents? I understand that little Fanny developed some kind of an eye infection, and they went in, took her to the doctor to treat little Fanny, and the doctor prescribed something that, in fact, didn't help her get better, but made her come com become completely blind. Well, at the age of eight years old, believe it or not, little Fanny described her condition this way. She said, It seemed intended by the blessed providence of God that I should be blind all my life, and I thank Him for the dispensation. If perfect earthly sight were offered me tomorrow, I would not accept it. I might have not sung hymns of the praise of God if I had been distracted by the beautiful and interesting things around me. And we could say, well, you have to understand, that's a little eight-year-old girl. You know, she's, she's not, she doesn't quite have her feet on the ground. She's not thinking. Well, listen to me. That was not just her, her attitude at eight years old, but we know by singing her songs that that was an attitude that went with her through life. That that actually steered her life and, and developed her into someone that God used amazingly throughout the church and throughout the kingdom of God, even today. 
And we sing, like I said, many of her songs today. In fact, I understand that Fanny Crosby wrote over 8,000 hymns and gospel songs. Over 8,000. Her songs were so popular, people enjoyed Fanny Crosby's songs so much that publishers knew that her songs would sell their books. But how do you do that? I mean, you have 8,000 songs. What do the songbooks have? Maybe 1,000 <laughs> in the songbook? Okay, so how can we do this? Everyone wants to sing Fanny Crosby's songs. She has this many. We've been picking through. We found 4,000 that we want. Well, you can't do that. And so this is what happened. Fanny Crosby ended up writing using over 200 pen names so that more songs could be used in songbooks. So we may be singing many songs today that Fanny wrote, we don't even know. Interesting. God used her in amazing ways as she was resigned to his will for her life. God used that extreme hardship for his glory. Listen to this poem by Dale Martin Stone entitled, The Shaping of a Disciple. When God wants to drill a man and thrill a man and skill a man, when God wants to mold a man to play for him the noblest part, when he yearns with all his heart to build so great and bold a man that all the world shall be amazed, then watch God's methods, watch his ways. How he ruthlessly perfects whom he royally elects, how he hammers him and hurts him and with mighty blows converts him, making shapes and forms which only God can understand. Even while his man is crying, lifting a beseeching hand, yet God bends but never breaks when man's good he undertakes, when he, when he uses whom he chooses and with every purpose fuses man to act and act to man as it was when he began. When God tries his splendor out, man will know what he's about. Wow. I say an important key to developing strong Christian character is developing a proper perspective, cultivating a proper perspective of trials. I think I said earlier in the week one evening, that it is through our pain that we gain our ministry. I believe that God often allows things into our lives, difficult experiences into our lives, perhaps for the purpose of being able to minister more effectively to others that are struggling in similar ways. Something for us to consider as we are developing, maturing in life, developing habits. Fourthly, then, we're talking about keys to developing strong Christian character tonight. The fourth one is practice a life of self-denial. Practice a life of self-denial. Do you want to be a person with strong Christian character? Do you want the power to claim consistent victory in your life? Yeah, that's what I want. Then learn to say no to the old man. Learn to say no to the flesh. I quote, To subordinate the lower nature to the higher, to be able to forego a present pleasure for a greater good, is a distinguishing mark of the highest type of character. Self-denial is essential to manhood, for to make one's life count demands sacrifice. Turn to Matthew chapter 16 and just note several verses here. Matthew chapter 16 and starting at verse 24. Then said Jesus unto his disciples, If any man will come after me, or if any man chooses by his own free will, if he desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross 
and follow me. I want you to notice, in particular, two words. The one is after, and the second is follow. I want you to notice who is leading. After and follow. If any man will come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Someone is first, someone is next. Notice who is leading, notice who is following. Now turn to Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8. A beautiful passage, one of my favorite passages in the whole Bible. It's a passage of freedom, a passage of life. No condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. There's that word again. After. Verse 5. For they that are after the flesh do mind the things of the flesh, but they that are after the Spirit the things of the Spirit. Verse 13, for if ye live after the flesh, ye shall die. But if ye through the Spirit do mortify the deeds of the body, ye shall live. Do you notice that, young people? Do you notice that word over and over? After, after, after. Someone is leading, something is leading, and something is following. You see, it's all about who or what is calling the shots. It's all about who or what is on the throne of my life. It's all about who or what is directing you. And I say that people who are serious about being a champion of Christian character know what it means to say no to the flesh and yes to the the Spirit. They know what it means to make saying that a way of life. It's something that they choose to do, and it becomes habitual as they, through the power of God, say no to the flesh and yes to the Spirit. They learn to walk after the Spirit. They learn to come after Jesus Christ. They learn to follow Him. Listen. Are you struggling with having consistent victory in your spiritual life? Are you struggling with that? Do you sometimes feel like the Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 7, where you want to do what's right, and the more you try to do what's right, the more you find yourself slipping into what's wrong, and when you don't want to do wrong, ah, it's, just, it's just this confusing, this confusing cycle of, so overwhelming, and, and oh, you just can't find consistent victory, and, and you want to give up, and you can't figure out what's wrong. And Do you want to know how to break that cycle? I say through the power of God, through the power of God, the flesh has to be put to death. I mean put to death in order for you to experience consistent life, consistent victory in the things that are bothering you tripping you up. Maybe sometimes you read Romans chapter 8 and and you read it with great longing and you wonder if it's actually possible. Like, is it possible for me to live with no condemnation? Is it possible to live so free like that? And I say, absolutely, dear people, it is possible. Praise the Lord through the shed blood of Christ that is washed away our sins through accepting that work by faith and minding the work of the Spirit, living in accordance to God's Word, you can experience consistent victory in your life. 
for what the law could not do, verse 3, and that it was weak through the flesh, God did. God did by sending His own Son, Jesus Christ, in the likeness of sinful flesh, and for sin, condemned sin in the flesh. I just want to encourage you, young people, to develop a God consciousness in your life. Do you know what I mean by that? A God consciousness? Where you are going through life, you are going through each day with a desire to hear from God, communicating with God. Prayer is not just something you do for five minutes after you read your Bible before you rush off to work. It is a, a life of communication with God. You want to hear from God. Your ears are open to the voice of the Spirit. You're sensitive to the nudging of the Spirit. Develop a sensitive ear to the voice of the Spirit. You know, I'm burdened tonight when I think about this because there are many Christians today that are trying to grow without completely getting rid of the flesh. And they can't figure out why they keep struggling and struggling. And dear people, there's many things in this life that are not wrong in and of themselves. But if they are coming between us and God, if they are causing us to stumble, if they are taking the time out of the day that ought to be spent with God, then they need to be cast from us. Uh, that's an aggressive term, by the way. Jesus used it. Cast it from you. That's more than just simply, you know, tucking it in your back pocket and kind of sheepishly walking away. No, it's like, get out of here. I don't want anything to do with you. In other words, you identify this as a spiritual enemy. You identify this as not just something that's bugging you a little bit, but it is actually getting in between you and God. It is severing that warm, rich relationship that He promises. It's an enemy. It's an enemy to your soul. Let me just give a, a very practical illustration here. There are many people today that justify having a smartphone or some other electronic device because it's convenient. And I understand that. We've got a few in our house as well. And yet they're sinning with it multiple times a year. And it bothers them a little bit, but not enough to get rid of it. Now, let me just pause here a moment and, and ask you, how many times would you have to sin with your electronic device in order for you to say, okay, it's not worth it. I'll, I'll finally get rid of it. I don't know. I mean, is there a number? I mean, have you even thought about it? I mean, would it have to be three or four times? Would it have to be ten times? Would it have to be once a week? Would it, like, you put a number on it. How many times would you have to sin with your device before you say, okay, enough is enough? Or do you even think about it? Or do you just simply consider those stumbling situations to be a part of the package? Like, God understands. Like, I'm doing the best I can. You see, there's many people that would never even consider giving up their electronic device. Like, are you kidding? What? You, now, you are really old school. I mean, these are the days we live. Like, I can't live without my smartphone. So, and so they, they start building allowances into their life because it's not even an option to get rid of it. And so we, you know, we download various apps on our phones that, for the most part, are, are healthy. But would you ever consider that the part that's not healthy should be enough to make you say, you know what, it's not worth that? Or do you just simply go with the flow and say, it'll be all right. I usually say I'm sorry if I do something bad, and God understands. You know, and so there's young people, and there's older people, and there's many people who struggle with these things. 
And, and I will say they often realize that it's not just this that they're struggling with, but there's other things in life that they're struggling with too. And they never realize that actually they're connected. But like I said, they would never think about giving it up because it's something that I just have to have. But then you go to church on Sunday and in Sunday school class you talk about Matthew chapter 16 and Romans chapter 8 and all this stuff and talk about, you know, the power of self-denial and life in the spirit and, oh yeah, that's great, yeah, everything's good and then that's what we need to do. But, uh, but excuse me, we're so smart and yet sometimes we can just be very stupid when it comes to these things. I say, do you want to experience consistent victory in your life? You can. You can. But the flesh has to go. And I don't mean just tucked away in the back corner. I mean crucified. It has to be dealt a serious blow away with. You can ask the question, what will you give in exchange for your soul? You know, many people give electronic device in exchange for their soul. What will you give in exchange for your soul? Practice a life of self-denial. You know, I just mentioned the thing of electronic devices, and I understand that's just one category. I'm not necessarily saying that everything else is fine. No, I was just zeroing in on that because that is a big part of our lives today. Perhaps you're doing wonderful in that. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Perhaps there's something else. You know be real with God about those things and do business with God when it comes to the things that in, are in your life that are causing you to stumble. Number five here, keys to developing strong Christian character, and that is live a disciplined lifestyle. This sort of falls right on the heels uh, of the one be before. Live a disciplined lifestyle. Strong Christian character will never happen by accident. Strong Christian character is never given to those who are careless or to those who are lazy. But in fact, strong Christian character stands in sharp contrast to spiritual complacency. Show me a, a young man or a young woman with strong Christian character, and I'll show you an individual that lives a disciplined lifestyle. Now, I want you to notice the flow there. I say, show me a person with strong Christian character, and I will show you a person who lives a disciplined lifestyle. Now, we could turn that around, and it's not true. Just because Tom Brady is one of the greatest football players ever to play the game, and because he is one of the most disciplined guys to ever uh, be involved in the sport, and just because he is just has an amazing work ethic, does not mean he's a man of strong Christian character. And you can read the news in the last few months and know that, okay? And I find that amazing. I've often just been astounded with some of that. You can read hunting magazines about these guys that are so disciplined when it comes to being sent free, when it comes to all the little details of hunting. I mean, overboard. It is unreal the amount of discipline those guys have. But they don't go to church on Sunday. Read about the rest of their lives. How is that? How is that? Turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 9. First Corinthians chapter 9. The Apostle Paul here is writing about the importance of living our lives, running our race in such a way, in such a way. I want to hone in on that for a bit. But here in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 24, Know ye not that they which run in a race run all, but one receives the prize? So run that ye may obtain. And every man that striveth for the mastery is temperate in all things. Now they do it to obtain a corruptible crown, but we an incorruptible. I therefore so run, not as uncertainly, 
So fight I, not as one that beateth the air, but I keep under my body. Or literally, I beat my body into subjection. I bring it into subjection, lest that by any means, when I have preached to others, I myself should be a castaway. I have a question for you. If the Christian life was a race where only one winner was crowned, would that be you? Would that be you? And do you even care? Are you even competing for that number one position? As you're coming through turn four, are you with the lead pack? Are you straining to be that person? And do you even care? You see, as I read it here, verse 24, Know ye not that they which run in a race run all, but one receives the prize? One receives the prize. So run that ye may obtain, or run in such a way that ye may be that one who wins the prize. And you know, I have heard preachers say before on this, now you understand that the Apostle Paul was talking about races, about sports, where only one person wins. But you know what? In the Christian race, we're all winners. Let me tell you, that completely defeats what the Apostle Paul is trying to say. That does nothing more than breed a sense of complacency. He's saying, run like you are... Run like you are going to be the only winner. There's only one guy who wins. Run your race in that way, like you are the only one that could win, okay? Just picture there's 100 guys, and you're running. One guy gets number one. Would that be you? He's saying, live your Christian life like it were. And so then he goes on to say, what all that these people in the secular games, do in order to be that one, to win. And of course, it's a spiritual analogy. He's really speaking about our spiritual lives. But he's saying, you need to run in such a way, you need to live your spiritual life in such a way with that kind of effort, with that kind of discipline. Some time ago, I was reading an article uh, that was about the University of Virginia men's basketball team, and they were writing about uh, Coach Tony Bennett and some of the things that he does to, to train his guys to get better at the game of basketball. And I found it very fascinating that they were saying that Coach Tony Bennett sometimes uses spiritual stories and, and actually verses from the Bible to instill things into his guys how to play the game of basketball. And this was one of them that they quoted in this. It might have been the Charlottesville paper. I forget now. But this was the verse. 1 Corinthians 9, 24. Run in such a way to win the prize. And so they were saying that at that point in the locker room, there at UVA, the men's basketball locker room, there were the initials ISAW on the wall. And that stood for in such a way. And so he would take this verse, and then he would tell the guys that you need to play every part of the game in such a way so that we come out as winners. I mean, dribble the ball in such a way, defend in such a way, pass it in in such a way, shoot the jump shot in such a way. Everything, do everything. All the details matter. All the details matter. And they had to do it with the final outcome. And I read that, and I was just like, you've got to be kidding me. I mean, that's just ball. That's just basketball. What about our spiritual lives? What about something that actually really matters in eternity? And I just want to challenge you, young people, to live your life Live every area of your life in such a way that you win the prize. Keep your focus on that prize. Every area of your life needs to be put through the filter of in such a way, as it were. We can get lazy. We can get sloppy. 
And yet, all those little details matter. I say, once again, remember about a person's character, how that's revealed by how they handle the finer details of life? It really is. And so, I say, live intentionally. Live purposefully. Set goals for yourself. Set your alarm clock, young people, and then, like, get up when it goes off. And you know what? <laughs> I'm 41, and I could still do a little better with that one sometimes, okay? All right? Uh, have a consistent schedule, and that, that's really a big deal. Have a consistent schedule. And some of you say, well, my work just doesn't allow me to do that. You know, sometimes I got to do this. And we all have our little excuses. But let me just say that a haphazard schedule is an enemy, I believe, to strong Christian character. It's hard for us to develop a routine like this is when I read the Bible. This is when I spend time with the Lord. This is my study time. This is a haphazard schedule really messes that up. And it's hard for us to get in a flow. And you know what happens when we don't get in a flow, we don't get in a rhythm? Uh-oh. It doesn't happen. Oh, man, I, I haven't even read my Bible for the last three days. Yeah, that's just how life is. That's our flesh. Don't start the day by reading the latest news. Don't start the day by jumping on your social media. Start the day. Discipline yourself to start the day with the Word of God. You know, what we start the day with, what we put into our mind at the beginning of the day, it often lays a framework for our thoughts throughout the day. It really does. And so start the day with much purpose. Start the day with feeding on the Word of God. Start the day with putting life and health into your mind. And I say once again, make reading the Word of God a daily discipline. And it is a discipline. But you will find the more you do it, the more you come to enjoy it. The more you come to the place where you say, I can't do without it. I actually need to be doing more of that. And you begin to develop more and more of a hunger for that. You know, you will find time in each day to do what is truly important to you. And, and you may want to tangle with me a bit over that. I say, you will find time in each day to do what is truly important to you. And I remember one time I was talking to my wife about this, and I, I forget what it was, and I came home from work, and I was so busy or something, and I said, you know, honey, I, I was so busy that I didn't even get, I didn't even have time to eat lunch. And she said, well, did you want to eat lunch? Yeah, I wanted to eat lunch. Well, something else must have been more important <laughs> than lunch then. Okay, well, I guess it was. You know, we can really, we can really be convicted when we, say that we didn't have time to read our Bible, but we did spend, check out our phone tracker, we did spend 45 minutes on our phone somehow through the day, but I didn't have time to read my Bible. I did have time to shoot my bow for about 15 minutes. And I, I did look through the newspaper for a little. I say, live a disciplined lifestyle. Our actions, in fact, prove our priorities. Uh, that's it's kind of painful to think about, but it's true. Our actions prove our priorities. Well, lastly then, and this is definitely not a situation where last means less important. In fact, this could be one of the most important ones of them all. But that is pursue a passion for purity. Pursue a passion for purity. Show me a young man or young woman who has strong Christian character, and I will show you an individual who is going out of their way to maintain sexual purity. And in today's world, that may very well mean scrapping some modern convenience in order to stay committed to Jesus Christ. It also may mean scrapping some modern convenience in order to be faithful uh, to your girlfriend or boyfriend, or to be faithful to your spouse. How much does that mean to you? You young people that are dating, you might shrug that off a little bit. I'm telling you, that'll come back to haunt you big time when you move into married life. 
you don't know. So you don't know yet. I'm just telling you, I haven't always been perfect in some of those things. Sadly, I have a little experience in that. What does the Bible say here about pursuing a passion for purity? And specifically, what did various men in the Bible say about their commitment to this? Joseph said, how can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? There he was. He had an opportunity. No one was looking. He was tempted. How can I do this great wickedness? Notice what he called it. This wasn't just a little affair. This wasn't just a little treat. He called it a great wickedness. He called it sin. And then he sort of slipped out. No, he fled. I think the King James says something like, he got him out of there. (laughs) He fled out of there. He saw it for what it was. Job said, I made a covenant with mine eyes. Why then should I think upon a maid? I made a covenant with mine eyes. Let me just tell you, fellas, that if you think covenant eyes will fix your problem on your device, if you think installing covenant eyes will fix your problem, you're dead wrong. If you simply have covenant eyes or a similar filter, but have not actually made a covenant with your eyes, you're only fooling yourself, okay? Now, I'm not saying that that internet filters are not important. In fact, they're good, and they're helpful. They do give some boundaries. But a filter is not worth much if you have not made a covenant with your eyes, young ladies do. You see... A filter, as it were, is more of an outer thing. That covenant with your eyes, that's deep. That's from within. That's a want-to. That's a want-to. That's a deep commitment. And that's what Job said. And that's the greatest filter you can ever have. David said, I will set no wicked thing before my eyes. Daniel said, he purposed in his heart not to defile himself, but that's, that was his, his way of life. He purposed in his heart not to defile himself. And although I know that that wasn't specifically in relation to sexual sin, moral purity, yet it was his way of life, a man of purpose. Jesus said, Whosoever looketh on a woman to lust after her hath committed adultery with her already in his heart. Paul said, avoid sexual immorality. Learn how to control your body. Abstain from all appearance of evil. Can I ask you a private question? What are you doing with your body? What are you doing with your body? Who is in control of your body? You know, I've heard before... It's been said, referring to certain men that fell in the area of moral purity, that they snapped. Let me just tell you right now, dear people, men don't snap when it comes to sexual sin. Men fall as a result of a series of compromises. It's a series of progressive actions. You could say it's very similar to that of of Achan. Achan, you remember that story where he said, I saw, and then I coveted, and then I took, and I hid. I saw, I coveted, I took, and I hid. You know, expressions of the life begin in the mind. Expressions of the life begin in the mind. Did you know, dear people, that what you hide controls you? What you hide controls you. You know the story of Achan. That's where his mind was. His mind was the stuff. I mean, he, he hid it. But that, that pile under the tent controlled him. You little children, if you aren't sleeping yet, uh, think about cookies. Chocolate chip cookies. Okay, so if mama says don't eat any more cookies, no more cookies, 
And while mama's out hanging out the wash, you slip in, you grab another cookie, and you slip it under your pillow, and you're going to eat that cookie later. Did you know that you're being controlled by a chocolate chip cookie? Is that not stupid? And we laugh at that, and yet, I'll, I'll let you finish that, okay? We are controlled today by some really stupid things. But at that point, that little child is being controlled by a chocolate chip cookie because when mom comes in, I'm thinking about that cookie. I hope she doesn't make the bed. Uh, you know, so, so when I go over here, I, I, I'm thinking about that chocolate chip cookie. Everything is, is now centered around this chocolate chip cookie. And I'm saying, did you know that what you hide in life controls you? But there is a beautiful thing to ponder. We can look at that in a very beautiful way. Because the psalmist said, How can a young man keep his way pure? By taking heed thereto according to thy word. Thy word have I hid in mine heart that I might not sin against thee. There it is. Is that not neat? What you hide controls you. What are you hiding? Whatever it is, it's controlling you. You hide the word in your life and you will find the power to live in victory. Let me just say that sexual purity doesn't just happen. It has to be learned. It has to be sought for. It has to be fought for. But dear brothers and sisters, it is worth your every effort. It is worth your every battle. Diligently give yourself to that battle. And you're going to need someone to help you with that as well. If you tonight are struggling with sexual purity in your life, if you're struggling with that, don't think for a moment that you can take care of it and come clean by yourself. That is a lie of the devil. You will not be able to. It is stronger than you can handle by yourself. You see, when it comes to sexual sin, secrecy is the silent killer. Mm -hmm. And so I urge you, to reach out to someone that you can trust, some godly mentor, a parent that you can trust, that might be difficult. Reach out to someone, the pastor, the pastor's wife, a youth sponsor, someone that you can confide in. And you might think, they're going to think I'm stupid. They're going to say that, what is wrong with No, they won't. You know what they'll say? They'll say, I know exactly what you mean. I know exactly how you feel. You see? You try to handle it by yourself, you may not come out alive. It's time to wrap it up this evening. Once again, if the church is going to be quality without question, it means each one of us personally must be serious about developing strong Christian character. It starts with me. It starts with each of you. Someone has put it this way. The measure of a man's character is not what he gets from his ancestors, but what he leaves his descendants. What are you leaving? What are you de developing today that will be worth leaving? If the church is going to be holy and without blemish, then each one of you young people must develop a passion for protecting and preserving the purity of the church. Let's pray.